uh, we'll, we'll do some re- refreshing. Uh, but if you, look, if you look at Psalm 18, the, uh, I put the psalm title that's, that's there in the, in the text. Uh, I put it on the top there. It says, uh, of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang uh, to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, if you just take that statement right there and you think about the life of David, it's like, well, okay, well, let's go through the whole book of First Samuel and the whole book of Second Samuel and we'll be able to put that in there. But he, he does give that little historical tidbit specifically dealing with the, the hand of Saul. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to take it and understand that this, is, this psalm is going to be written out of the trials, written out of the difficulties that David has been going through that we've been looking at in 1 Samuel from the moment he's uh, anointed as king all the way to the point where he actually becomes king. Uh, and even in the times when he flees out of the hands of the enemies, the hands of Saul. Uh, and so, so David is going to, to write this psalm out of that out of that situation or potentially some some believe the idea of maybe a little bit later but he's reflecting back on this time in his life so these events whether it's right at the moment which doesn't seem completely likely it seems like it's probably a little bit later in his life he is reflecting back on these events and out of everything that happened during this time david is going to pen psalm psalm 18 so just a quick, the quick historical review as we've talked. David understands Saul is never going to, when, when they finally get to the point uh, at En Gedi, uh, David is looking and, and Saul is saying, okay, go, you, I know you're going to be king and I'm not going to pursue you anymore. And David's, they, they part for the last time. But David very clearly understands and understands in 1 Samuel 27 <clears throat> that Saul's, Saul's still going to try and kill him. So he flees to Philistia, stays in Philistia till Saul dies. After Saul dies, David eventually will ascend to the throne. Now, David, what's interesting, from the time that David was, uh, when he was anointed as a king in his late teens, he was about 30 years old when he actually became the king of uh, Israel. And that's even in a process there because a number of the tribes didn't recognize David's kingship, his authority to the throne. And so it took even another number of years, almost to the point where he was 37, where the rest of the northern tribes, Judah, they followed him right away. Well, obviously, they're going to follow Judah, Benjamin. I mean, this, this is David. He's one of us. So they're going to follow him right away. But as time, as time went on, eventually all the other uh, king or tribes follow him, and the united monarchy of Israel begins. But you think about that. You're talking at least a decade or so, maybe up to two, but a good decade where David is going through this, this time of uh, despair. During this time, God is shaping David through adversity. He's allowing these events to happen, sometimes moving in ways to, to cause pressure, to relieve pressure. But David, David is facing adversity continually from the time of his early 20s until at least the age of 30, if not a little bit after, and we know he has other adversities uh, through, through his years, as we all do. It doesn't, you don't ever get to that point where adversity no longer exists. Uh, well, we will when we get to heaven, but, but until that point here on earth, we, we face those adversities. So David, David is facing that. And during this time, there are multiple times we've, we've covered that, we've looked at it, where David is despairing life. He, he's looking and saying, there's, 
Where else am I going to go? How else am I going to turn? He feels all these different times where, where life is just overwhelming, like he's sinking, like he's trapped, like he's snared, like everything's just got him all wrapped up and he has nowhere to go. He can't free himself. And so he's, he's really battling through these times, but in those times he's learned to trust in God. And that's what we've been covering through all these different Psalms. We continually, there's that general theme during this time of David's life. And we'll see it again here in Psalm 18, that in the midst of my despair, I turn to God for deliverance. I trust in him and God is the one who delivers me through my difficult times. So, so David's theme is going to continue and these Psalms have that, that general theme that, that occurs through it. And he, for nearly a decade now, he's, he's, he's what, what are you doing? He's going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to run from Saul. I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to have to watch over my shoulder to see if somebody's coming after me. So, so put yourself in that situation. And we don't like when adversity isn't reconciled in 10 days. We don't like if uh, <clears throat> a, a conflict lingers on for a month or two or three. We don't like it if, if there's, there's conflict for a year or two. We, we don't like that. But put yourself in David's shoes at this moment. You're talking about a man who for a decade at least, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but right, right in that 10 years of time of his life has been spent running, looking over his shoulder. Sure, at times he would be in a stronghold, but he's still wondering, is Saul sending out spies? Are the Philistines trying to kill me? Are, are, the, are the, my, my kinsmen, are they going to turn against me? He's, he's constantly wrestling with this, never able to relax, always, have to be, always being on high alert, trying to figure out how to, how to make it through, how to engage with, with God in these difficult times. That's exhausting. It's exhausting just thinking about it. And to, to see what he's going through and then to watch what he pens, it chastens me to think, how many times do I think my little, they're not petty, but they are petty at times. My petty conflicts or my little things that I just think are the complete end all to the world. And I get frustrated when they're not resolved right away. Do I take the heart of David in the midst of this? So David, reflecting back on all of this time, now having probably more of a mature perspective on everything that happened, he looks back and says, let me, let me tell you about what I learned. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about what he does, who he is. Let me tell you about my commitments to him, my responses and his responses to me. Some interesting facts about Psalm 18. Uh, first one, is it's the longest of David's psalms. And it's the third longest psalm overall. I was, in, I was, I was looking through and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, 50 verses. All right, I got a minute of verse. All right, here we go. You know, it, we won't cover each verse in depth. I would encourage you to go back through and to take your understanding of David's life and read the psalm. It's really interesting. Some of the words, and we'll talk about some of the words that he specifically uses. And this psalm is repeated. I'd encourage you to look at 2 Samuel 22. Um, if you, 2 Samuel 22, in fact, let's go over there for a second. This is one of the, one of the reasons. There's a, there's a debate that occurs in, uh, in, in regard to these psalm titles. Some scholars, if you read, if you read some of the books on, uh, some of the, books on uh, the psalms, they will look and say, well, we don't really know that the psalm titles were inspired. They were probably just added in later on. You know, they were add-ons. 
But to me, I look and say, wait a second, in the Hebrew Bible, it is verse 1. What's interesting is in 2 Samuel 22, look at verse number, verse number 1. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. That's the psalm title for Psalm 18. So under inspiration, through the Holy Spirit, it's penned right here that that's verse number one. And those, so that's one of the, the authorities that we look at these psalm titles and say, this is how we know, based on the word of God, that this is what the history was. So it gives a little bit of credibility to the idea of the histor- historicity of the psalm titles. But if you look through all of Psalm or 2 Samuel 22, there's 51 verses. There are a few differences in uh, between Psalm 18 and Psalm 22 or 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22 is is uh, later on in David's life. He's looking back and he's going to reflect, and it's at a time of worship. Uh, he's able to the the verses toward the end of the verse ver, or chapter 50, 51. That's where the major differences start to come in. Uh, a little bit, uh, but not a whole lot. When you start reading through, you're going to see little, little word differences. But overall, it's repeated. To me, that's profound. Because if we take to a, we take to a, a very high view of inspiration, which we hold to a church here, and we're going to look and say, if the Holy Spirit is involved, and He is, in the overseeing of what is put into Scriptures... Why put this in two times? Why put in 50 verses, almost literally identical, and put them into Scripture two different times? Maybe there's some really important truths for us to take out of this and to say, hey, what is it that David's saying? What is he reflecting back upon? So let's look at that. Let's look at, you can, you can follow along for the most part. It'll be off by a verse if you go in 2 Samuel 22. But uh, in Psalm 18, Let's look at uh, let's look at what the what the scriptures say uh, in regard to praising God. So David is going to look here. He's going to take time, though his life's not perfect, and and that's something we we really need to remember. And I think we know about David, and we will get to in a couple of weeks. We know that there are imperfections in David's life, though he's not perfect, and uh, his life is not perfect. David is going to take time to reflect and commit to the Lord. He doesn't just say, okay, great, God is good. He's going to make some commitments, some choices to, to put into his life, to, to activate his faith. So what are, what are his commitments? In verse number one, he's going to look and say, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. I would encourage you to, as we go through here, make a note or maybe underline. Look at the number of times he uses the word Jehovah. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's not just, now he will use El or Elohim, he will use God, but he is numbers of times, he's going to make some bold statements that we're not just talking about God in general. He's saying, I am specifically talking about the personal, covenant-keeping, faithful God, Jehovah. He's going to use it multiple times through this text. Even in the psalm title, he used it a number of times. But he says, I will love you. The word love here is typically the word that's used for God's merciful love toward us. 
It's a compassionate love. It's an intimate love. It's a love of strength. When there's nothing, we have nothing to offer to God. We deserve something. But he in his strength and his self-control, uh, he gives it, to, gives it to us or withholds uh, judgment at times from us. David says, I will have compassion towards you. I will, it's a, almost a recognition of his strength, a recognition of his might, of his power, and recognizing that God is the one who's going to get him through. It's a compassionate love, an intimate love. So he says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. So he starts to highlight here who, who God is. He says, I will love you. Verse 2, he says, I will trust you. Or literally, he says, um, God is my strength, verse 2 in the middle of it, in whom I will trust or I will take refuge in. Think about what David's been doing all along. Running around taking refuge. Running around hiding, looking for strongholds, looking for places to, to, to trust God to be in a cave, to see your enemy come in, and you're still trusting that God is going to exalt you. God will take care of that man. There's that idea of taking refuge. He says, I will call on the Lord in my times of distress and my difficulties. I will call upon the Lord. In verse 3, he says, the one who's worthy to be praised. He says, because of him, I shall be saved. I shall be delivered from my enemies. So he goes back to that idea of not just looking for uh, God to do something, but he's going to call upon, he's going to praise God, the one who deserves it. So he, he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. These I wills are very emphatic. Then down toward the end of the, the end of the chapter, he gives a couple others. He talks about, I shall do this. I shall. He says, uh, I, I, I will give thanks to the Lord. Verse number 49, I will give thanks unto the Lord among the heathens and sing praises unto thy name. So he makes this commitment that I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to sing praises. I'm going to trust. I'm going to love. I'm going to call upon the Lord. <clears throat> and I, I look at what David does and I, and I have to ask the question, what is it about God? What, what is it about, what gives David the ability to make genuine commitments of praise, love, and trust? How can, how can he come to the point where he can say, very confidently, very emphatically at stages of his life saying, I'm committing to God. I'm going to praise him. I know it doesn't look good right now, but I'm going to praise him. I'm going to trust him. It doesn't look right. It, things look like they're falling apart, but I'm going to trust that God is in control. I'm going to trust that he will vindicate me when, when it seems like Saul is against me. I'm going to trust that I'm in the midst of the Philistines, but he's going to deliver me. What is it? What, what allows him to, to get to that point? that he can have this love and commitment for God that when I compare my love, my commitment, my trust to that of David, I feel very shallow. I'm like, how, do, how does this guy do it? I think if we look through the psalm, we're going to see the, why he can do this. He's, he, because of who God is. He understands who God is. He has a deep understanding. Notice in verse number three, there's, uh, there's some areas there what are the, and go ahead and look through real quick before I give you the answers. Look through, uh, not verse, verse two, verse three. It should be verse two, not verse three. Sorry about that. It's verse three in the Hebrew. But verse two, I think I, now I'm hoping I have them all right. Uh, because of who the Lord God is, okay, what is it about David? What does he look and say, this is who God is? Look at those verses, verse two. 
What are some of them? He's what? He's the rock. What else? Okay, good. Deliverer. Yep. The buckler, or a what? I heard. What's another word for buckler? He's our shield. Good. He's the horn or the horn of salvation, which, am I the only one who like you look and go, okay, what? But think, think back to, to times when they were fighting. The horn, um, it was sometimes when they pictured with the animals, that was the, the point of strength. The, the antlers, the, the antlers would be going against the deer, use those to fight, or the bulls use those to, to spar. It's their, it's their point of strength. But also, it's, uh, the horn was often used to carry medicinal aspects when they would go into battle so they would have medicine so God could potentially be the the salve that he needs in deliverance it also is used to call it was used to signal that when danger was there that you could signal out by blowing through the horn there's multiple different areas that people say well it's this or it's this any direction it goes it, it relies on the fact that God is the one who is going to deliver and provide strength uh, to to David he's the high tower now, what's interesting about some of these words that he uses here, the word rock, we think, we think big boulder. But the word is actually an elevated crag. Like you, you, look, at, you look up at a mountain, you see the little, the little cliffs that come together and that little place that you can tuck in behind. That's the word that's used there. The, the David, David looking, and you can picture it. Here comes Saul and his men, and David's like, where do I go, where do I Oh, there we go. So he climbs up in and he gets in the crag and hides behind the rock. God is his, his protect, protection at that point. It's not just this big firm boulder that never moves, although we know that God is that. He is our foundation from other, from other texts and scripture that word is used. But in this one specifically, David's like, he's the crag. Think about Engedi. Think about the wilderness when he's running around. That's, that's what David is. He talks about his fortress, his stronghold. We know that David, there, even when the, uh, the prophet Gad came to David, he says, get out of the stronghold of Moab. Same word here. The, the place of refuge that you can find comfort and strength. So David's using words that are referring back to his, his difficult times. And I'd encourage you to do some more study on some of these words. It's a lot of fun. And your, your mind will instantly start going back to all the history we've been studying in 1 Samuel. So David looks and says, God's strength... That's what's allowing me, allowing David to love, to trust, to call upon God. Where do we get that from? As we go through the text, he's looking and saying, God is my strength. The Lord's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. There's all these aspects of of God's strength and power and might that allow him to do that. And David then all of a sudden takes this moment and he's going to reflect He's going to give you a little bit of his real life narrative that as you start looking through the narrative, you can start recalling back. Now, he doesn't get specific. He's keeping it general, as the psalm title reminds us, that this is about when he's delivered from his enemies, when he's delivered from the hand of Saul. Is it a specific time? It doesn't seem to be. David keeps it rather general. He talks about the sorrows, verse 4. The sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of the ungodly men made me afraid. I'm drowning in the, from, these, from these ungodly men. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The, the snares of death, they prevented me. So David starts talking about, the, the word sorrow there is literally the cords or the ropes that cause, the, the, you're all tangled up and you begin to feel sorrowful. The word sorrow uh, in, the, in the Hebrew actually 
comes out of that, the idea of being tangled and, and wrapped up and you get to the point where you're, you're shaking because you can't get out and you're starting to feel depressed and you start to cry and you're hurting, that's, that's what he's driving at. So he says, hell is, you know, death has got me wrapped up. The, the, the grave is, is coming for me. I'm all, I'm all wrapped up. He says, life snares. The, the snares, the traps are, are being set against me. The seas are roaring against me. He's, he's, David is very poetic. This is, this is one of the reasons I believe he didn't write it on the run. Because he has time to sit down and really think about the poetry. And you're going to see that as we get a little bit further here. We're going to get... We're going to get very uh, poetic in a few moments. Well, David's going to, and we're going to, we're going to dive in with him. But he starts to look and say, the seas are roaring around me. The snares are around me. They're trapping me. The, the cords are coming against me, and they've tightened me up. And I've been in deep distress. So David's talking about that. But he says, in the midst of these difficulties, David acted upon his beliefs. Remember what he said up in, in verses 1, 2, 3. He says, I will love the Lord. I will trust him. I will call on him. Verse number six, he says, in my distress, I actually called on the Lord. I did what I know I should do, what I've committed to doing. He says, I called upon the Lord and I cried unto my God. So David, David calls out, he cries to the Lord. And notice, notice what he talks about in the second part. He says, God is not an aloof God. God is not just a distant God who doesn't hear our cries, who doesn't hear our prayers. Although at times we may feel that way. We must not go on our feelings, especially when we go to prayer. When we're spending time pouring our heart out to God and we feel like, does God even care? Does God even know? We must go back to the facts of Scripture. The facts of Scripture say that the Lord does hear the distress calls of the righteous, of the faithful. And so he says in the second part of verse 6, he says, The Lord heard my voice out of his temple. Out of the, the temple is not, remember, there's no temple at this point. But the idea is, is up in the heavens, his, where he is reigning, where he is residing. So he says, I, I call, he heard my voice, and my cry came before him even into his ears. He gets personal, he says, he heard, he knows. And that's the fact that David believes, even when he doesn't always feel like it. And I think that, that is good for us to remember. There are times when we're praying, when we're wondering, but the fact is, God hears. So we need to continue in that area of prayer. How can he do that? How can he have that confidence? Because of not just who God is, but because of what God does. Verses 6 through 29, David is going to set us into a scene of this almost like a cosmic whirlwind. A, a huge uh, torrent of weather of difficulties. It's almost as if for a moment he, the, the heavens are parted a little bit and we're able to get a view of how God looks at the unrighteous, how God views the righteous, what he's doing and how he does it. But th this isn't literal. This Because if you start getting extremely literal with this, you're going to start wondering, okay, when are the hailstones coming? When are the lightning bolts about to shoot out? Is Zeus up there? You know, that's where we get those mythological pictures of the gods ready to strike us down. When you start reading through some of this, you're like, oh boy. But don't miss the point that David is, is going to drive at how much God despises the unrighteous, the unrighteous acts, and how much God does care for the faithful. And he does care for those who are in distress. So he starts off in verse 6. He, I, I cried out to him. He heard me. 
It says now he's, we're going to get God's response here. God's response is going to be really poetic, and, and we're going to see God's anger at the unrighteous. Because God hears the, he hears the call of the distressed. So David says, how do I get through all this? It's because of who God is and what he's done. So he hears his distress calls out there. And here's the glimpse into God's response. The approach of God is what uh, in the world is described in all of its fearsome effects. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, don't just think about, oh, I need to have a reverence for God. We ought to have an utmost reverence for God. But there is a trembling when we start to see the awesomeness of our God. We start to see his power and his majesty and his glory. So David starts to go, he, said, he talks about the earth stood, shook, and trembled. The foundations also of the hills were moved and were shaken. Why, why, why was there this shaking? Why was there this, this something is not right here moment? Because God was wroth. He was angry. What is he angry at? He's not angry at David for crying. He's angry at those who were causing him distress. He's angry at the unrighteousness. This is the theme that carries through David's psalms here. So he talks about the God is wroth. He is angry. And there went up smoke out of his nostrils. You can, you can hear the, <laughs> the, the breathing, the, the, almost like the, not a fire-breathing dragon. Some will say it's like the volcanoes shooting out lava. But there's this, this breath that... <laughs> I can't believe, you know, we do it a little bit in Asian countries, Middle Eastern countries. They really use that, that nostril sound to show indignation towards something. So, so he starts to, he starts to show that, uh, through, through the difficult times there. We, we continue on. He talks about the fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down. What's interesting is all of a sudden he starts, he, he gets a little, he goes from that really harsh moment to an intimate. The heavens bow down. The, the God is involved. He's not just out there ready to strike, but he is a personal God. There is that transcendence of God and the imminency of God, the, the closeness of God seen here. The heavens bow down also and came down. Darkness is under his feet. And he rode up by the cherub. You're going to start seeing that when, when it talks about riding on the wings of an angel or flying, you're going to see the power you're going to see the speed that's taking place. It's, it's talking about God is fast. He's quick. He's able to get to my side when I need it right away. He's flying on the wings of a cherub. Yeah, he did fly on the wings of the wind as quick as the wind goes. And though I can't see him and he comes by, God is there and he's quick to my side. He's quick to my aid. In the midst of my distress, I can trust in his power. I can trust in his close personalness. I can trust in his speed, the, the majesty, the, the awesomeness of God. And he continues on. He says, he made darkness his secret place. The things that you can't see completely, but he is there. His pavilion round about him, his waters were dark, thick clouds of the sky. Verse 12, he goes on. At the brightness that was before him, this thick cloud passed by. Hailstone, clouds of fire. The love of God is moving heaven and earth for the sake of his own. God, God's care for the distressed, for the hurting, for those of us, those of you in difficult times and situations that you're facing. God has not abandoned you. Though it may seem dark, he's still present. Though you feel like you can't see ahead, he's still there. When you feel like he's not by your side, he will be there. He will get you through. He, he, David is saying, this is what has gotten me through all these years. 
all of this power and might and majesty of who God is, and I know that he is acting, and I know that he's involved. He clearly understands that this deliverance is not from his own. As he keeps going, he says that what's, uh, the, the thunderstorm really plays out in verse 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest, the one on high, God, gave himself his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. <clears throat> Again, looking, David is not saying, this is what I did. This is what God has done through my years, through my en- when I'm facing my enemies. He sent out his arrows. He scattered them. He shot them out of light, shot out lightnings. He discomforted them. He, he scattered them. So God is involved. The channels of waters were seen. The foundations of the world were dis- uh, they were they were discovered at thy rebuke. At the, the words of God, at the rebuke of God, as He says it, nature nature happens. So He, he sees that God is involved in multiple ways. He says, "Oh Lord, bl- the, at the blast of thy nostrils." He brings that back again. The indignation, the, the hatred toward the unrighteous. And David could have easily looked as historically kings would do. Later on in their life, they would rewrite their history, or they would have somebody come in and rewrite history and say, oh, David made this great tactical decision here, and and they would inflate numbers of the enemies. Oh, they faced 100,000 when they only faced maybe 150. But they would historically at times inflate those areas to make themselves look good, and David could have easily done that. Look at all the strategies we employed in order to take out the Philistines, in order to escape the hands of Saul. But David doesn't do that. In verses 16 and 17, he starts to understand, and he he highlights that the deliverance, it's not his doing, it's God. Look what he says. It says, he sent, he took, he drew me out. He sent from above, he took me. He drew me out of many waters, not just the waters. He says, this has happened multiple times. And all these experiences in my life, God has pulled me out. He has been faithful. He is the one who delivered, verse 17, delivered me not just from my enemy. He says, from my strong, my mighty, my powerful enemy, from those which hated me, from those that were too strong for me. But isn't that interesting? Even if you look back, David trying to be cunning in Gath, maybe trying to uh, trick them, Maybe at the point where he felt like he could do it all on his own. What can man do to me? And David's understanding there's a lot that man can do to me. But he's now at the point where I understand that and I'm saying, they were too strong for me. I didn't have the ability. Even with my mighty men at my side, just us, it's not enough. And so he highlights and he talks about that it's God. Even when his enemies or his difficulties were too strong for him, they were not too strong for God. He says, they were too strong for me. They prevented me, verse 18, in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my stay. He was my stronghold. He was my fortress. God brings an end, David to the end of himself. So that he would not trust in himself, but in God. And I believe that is one of the big teaching thing, themes in David's life. Is God allows David to be brought low. So that David recognizes that this is not about me. That I am not the one who is all-powerful. I am not the one who can get myself through. But it's rather, it's God. And David, David is allowed to go through that. Flip side, you, know, you, you see Saul who started low and he climbs high only to fall flat on his face. 
He's exalted, but he doesn't learn that humility. David starts as a humble shepherd, but quickly is thrust into the power or the limelight by killing Goliath. He's killed his thousands, his tens of thousands. And maybe there was some pride that was creeping into David's life. We don't know exactly. But through this, David is brought humbly low so that he can learn that it's about God and not about himself. What do we learn from our adversities? Are you just more content with getting through your difficulties and not learning what the lessons God has to teach you in them? Take time to reflect back. When you, when you endure the difficulties, even while you're going through them, God, what are you teaching me through this? The last thing I want to do is go through a hard time and not learn anything from it. I don't want to repeat it. I don't want to face it again. And if God is doing it multiple times in my thick-headedness, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do I need to learn? And trying, trying to learn through that. So David remembers a time when those enemies were too strong uh, for God, but God was his support, his space, and his deliverance, as I put there. Uh, the, the idea of the stay, the stronghold, the, the support, he brought me forth into a large place. He didn't, I mean, think about David. Okay, here's this guy who's living in caves. He's living, in, hiding in the crags. He's hiding out in little places. And he says, the Lord has brought me in all these spacious places. He has, he's delivered me through. He's, he's delivered me out of that, the spacious places. He's delivered me because he delighted in me. God delighted in him. What, what was it about David that God delighted in? And we, we quickly say, well, he was a man after God's own heart. So, you know, it has to do with how he dealt with sin. I believe that's a big one. And the fact that he looked, David looked and said, when I, I'm going to deal with my sin, whereas Saul looked and said, I'm just going to keep living in my sin. David dealt with his sin according to the word of God. But also in, in verse 19 and following, he starts to say, he brought me forth into this large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord, verse 20, rewarded me according to my righteousness. So David's going to start moving, moving the theme here. He doesn't want to just keep it out there. He wants to get practical again. So he talks about the fact that God is faithful to the faithful. What does he want people to learn as he's teaching them, as he's, as he's uh, talking to them about what he's learned in his life? That God is faithful to the faithful. Now, when we get into what is the faithful and who determines the faithful, that's, that's another story. That's another issue here. But if, if God's faithful to the faithful, then I want to be faithful. I want, God, I want God's faithfulness. I want God's mercy. I want God's deliverance. So I need, to, I need to work in it. He says here that righteousness does have its rewards. Do you notice that? As he starts, verse 20, the Lord rewarded, Jehovah rewarded me according to my righteousness. He says righteous living has its benefits. Long life, prosperity, uh, and it doesn't mean if I'm righteous, I'm going to be prosperous, but I can endure life, I can make it, I can, I can have an enjoyable life. Sure, there's going to be difficulties. So what does he talk about? When he talks about man's faithfulness to God, verses 20 and 24, he's going to talk about, uh, wow, it's almost 10 o'clock and we're only halfway through. There we go. Man's, man's faithfulness to God. What, what am I supposed to, if I want to be faithful to God, according to God's word, what, is, what does that involve? Notice he, notice he says, Lord requires, uh, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. He's paid me back, verse 20. Verse 21, for I have kept the ways of the Lord 
and am not wickedly departed from them. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him and kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of his hands. So verse 20 to 24, follow this little bracket, form this little bracket to say, what is, what is he talking about? He's talking about someone who adheres to God's commands or decrees. Talks about verse 21. I've kept the ways of the Lord. His judgments were always before me. Verse 22. I didn't put them away. I kept them as my, my filter in my life. They weren't left behind, but they're here. And as I'm going forward through life, my life is being lived through the filter of God's decrees. Whatever I'm doing, however I'm acting, that is to be my screen, my filter at which I do those things. Verse 23 says, I was always upright before him and kept myself from iniquity. He keeps himself away from evil. He doesn't run toward it. He doesn't see how close he can get to it. He doesn't dabble in it, but rather he keeps himself away from the evil. God's deliverance is directly related to our personal righteousness as David talks about here. He says, according to the eyes of God, this was, this was a rebuke to me this week. Verse 24, he says all these things, the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. It's not how I perceive sin. It's not how I perceive faithfulness. It's not how I perceive clean hands. But rather he says, God has rewarded based on how God views that. It's a God perspective, not a man perspective. Because if you're like me, we want to rationalize our sinful habits. We want to try and figure out a way to say, it's really not that bad. So we start finding ourselves trying to skirt or rationalize or argue with Scripture rather than accepting this is what God's Word has said. These are his decrees. These are his statutes that I will keep before me as I go through life. But we find ourselves, especially in Christianity today, wanting to skirt issues or we don't want to deal with cultural topics because they're too difficult or they're too hard or I don't want to make ripples with my friends. No, David says, I want to be faithful. I'm going to do what's right and I'm going to do it according to the eyes of God which we know from other scriptures, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He knows what we're doing. And there is what he is seeing is it matching up with what he desires in it. Now he talks about our faithfulness to God, but then he also talks about God's faithfulness to mankind. He talks about the faithfulness, verses 25 following to 29. He talks about God's faithfulness to the righteous and the humble. Remember, I, I believe David is reflecting back and learning about the pride that he had and God was teaching him humility through this time, here's one of the reasons I believe that. Verses, uh, the verses that follow, he talks about, um, verse 25, with the merciful, you will show mercy. With the upright man, you will be, uh, show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. With the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. For thou wilt save the afflicted, but will bring down higher, prouder, haughty looks. So he talks about in verse 27 even that he's going to bring down, he's going to exalt the righteous, he's going to be faithful to them but, and, and to the humble person, but to the proud and to the wicked, he's, 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 not, going to, he's not going to show his faithfulness. 
We want God's faithfulness, but we want to live like we want to live, and that doesn't match up unless the way we're wanting to live is the way God wants us to live. So we must look to say, I want to be humble. I don't want to be proud. I don't want to be high and and have those high, haughty looks to think myself better than everybody else, but rather to look and to say, okay, this this is who God is. This is what he desires of me. He wants me to be a humble person who's living righteously. Doesn't he say that? What's desired of us, O man, in Micah, that you act, uh, I just lost it. Love mercy, act, walk humbly with your God. See, I should have wrote it down. Live justly, thank you. To, and to walk humbly with our God. That's, he, he says, it's a theme of scripture. Live right, walk humbly. Live right, walk humbly. James chapter four, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So God, in his love and his mercy and his kindness, he wants to lavishly pour it out. But I can't, be a, I can't be a person, okay, I'm a Christian, but I live however I want, but God should bless me. God should, God should be faithful to me. I'm not being faithful to him, but he, he deserves. He, 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 I, I expect I deserve faithfulness from God because that's who God is. And David highlights there are some contingencies here. God is still faithful. God is always faithful. But we want that deliverance. We want that aspect. He talks about there's no barrier that the Lord can overcome. He gets poetic here again at the end of, uh, at the end of this section here. Verse 29, he talks about, uh, he says, For thou wilt light my candle, verse 28, and the Lord will enlighten my darkness. So he's, he's going to give me, the, give me what I cannot do myself. He's going to help me in those dark times. He says, But for by thee I have run through the troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. What, what seeming, we're not talking like a little, okay, he jumped over a little wall. Think Jericho. Like he's saying, I, I can leap over that. I, can, I am able to do these difficult things and get through these hard moments in my life because God was with me. When I don't feel like I know where to go, he lights my way. He, he, he helps the faithful through those difficult times. David commits to God because of God's attributes and his actions, who he is and what he's done. But are God and his ways trustworthy? I think that's a big question for us today. We haven't maybe seen God directly act the way he did in David's life. <clears throat> you know, we didn't have, when, when I got called into ministry, I didn't have Samuel coming down and say, thou art shalt be the one who shall go into preaching. I didn't have that. How do I, how do I know that as I follow God's path, as things happen, in my life, that God's way is trustworthy, that I can, I can follow after him. And David goes back, he's going to say, I can tell you they are. He, he gets into verse 30, a very familiar verse. There's a number of really, really popular verses in here. Uh, verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler, a shield, a protector to all those who trust in him. So, so David says, I can trust in God. I can trust in who he is because his ways are perfect. There is not a flaw in them. He is, he, he is, and what he does and what he says, I don't have to wonder. I can, I can believe. I can go forward. I can do what he says. God's ways are perfectly flawless. He says, follow these ways, and there will be protection. He says, finding these ways, how do you find them? You find them in his word. He says, the word of the Lord is tried. It's been tested. It's been proven. And it's, it's legitimate. So he, he encourages us to go down this path of saying, I'm going to follow God. 
his ways. They're perfect. And those, those perfect ways are ones that I want to follow. What does David experience from the faithful one? Notice, and I don't think I have this in your notes. I think I added it this morning. Um, verses 32, 33, 34. He says, for, for verse 31, who is God who can, for who is God save the Lord? Which is a, that is a very strong declaration, though it's in a question mark. That's one to, to sort of underline in your Bible. This is David's declaration. He says, who is El but Jehovah? In other words, he's making this strong claim to all the people around him. That's not just a God. No, this is Jehovah. He is God. He's making a strong, bold statement here that this is, this is who, who is God, save the Lord. He is the one who is our rock. He can save us. He's the one. God is the one who can do this. It's God that girds me with strength. So God gives strength. He makes my way perfect. He gives a bounce to my step. That's the idea of he makes my feet like hind's feet. If it, depending, you might have deer's feet. Probably, it's not a white tail. They don't have white tail in, in uh, Israel area, but probably like an ibex, similar to an antelope. But they have the ability, uh, the ibex, they actually have like video of them walking on the super narrow paths up on these, these paths. And he's saying, he, he, and, and then they'll run on those same little paths. And he's saying, that's what God does for me. He makes my way. He gives me a bounce. He makes it perfect. He lifts me up. He gives me my abilities. He, he doesn't even just say, uh, as he follows on, he says, thou has given me, verse 35, thou has given me the shield of salvation. Thou hast enlarged my steps, verse 36. He continually goes back to what God, he's verse 34, you've taught my hands to war. So David is constantly looking back and saying, my abilities, the things I'm able to use to get through life, God, those are because of you. And I want to make sure that you get the glory and you get the praise for all those things. They've gotten me through my life. My, yes, my sword has done that. Yes, my sling got me noticed. But God, you're the one who gave me those abilities. You're the ones who, who taught me those things. Verse 36, there's a, an interesting phrase uh, where uh, he talks about, you've enlarged my steps uh, that my feet may not slip. And it's not 36. Where is it at? Uh, verse 35. Uh, he says, you're my shield of salvation, the right hand that's holding me up, the, the right hand being the, the, the strong hand, maybe the weapon hand. Uh, they, they would hold the shield in the left, the, the hand in the right, but that's the one protecting. And thy gentleness has made me great. Your, your ability to stoop down, God, to come into my life personally. He, he portrays God as this gentle warrior who he doesn't want to fight, but when he has to, he's the guy you want on your side. He's the one who will protect you. He will hold you up with your right hand, but he's also gently involved in your life. David said, that's what gets me through. Knowing that he's not just out to strike me dead, but that he will gently come into my life, nudge me, move me, help me, comfort me, give me what I need. David's faith in God really gave feet to his life. Verses 37 and following through 42, he starts to talk about that. He says, I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn uh, until they, they were consumed. And you notice he goes from the he and thou to now this is what I've done. I've pursued, I've wondered, uh, verse 38, or I've wounded, excuse me, them that were not able to rise. <clears throat> they have fallen under my feet because you girded me with strength unto the battle. You subdued under me those that rose up against me. 
You have, verse 40, given me the next of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. And ultimately, those who are hating me, as he's highlighted in other times, are ultimately hating God because this was God's pro- program. They cried, but there was none to save them. There was this that foxhole, oh, God, save me, God, save me, I'll do whatever. But he, at this point, he's like, they cry even to Jehovah. But he's like, he's not answering them because they are the unrighteous. They are the ones who exalted against him. They are the proud, the wicked. So, so David starts highlighting and saying, my faith gave me the ability to go through it. David's lack of fear in the face of his enemies is not, uh, is no doubt, not, not doubt, no doubt a result of God's strength and faithfulness. He looks and says, it's because of you that I'm able to stand, that I'm able to lead this country, that I am able to, uh, to go into Philistia, that I am able to run into the caves and come back out and stand before Saul and say, I've not done anything wrong against you. The, the lack of fear that has grown in David's life, that faith that we've highlighted through a number of our studies, that he started with that fear, he moved toward that faith. It's because of who God was. David recognized that true deliverance was not a military prowess, but in God's might. He goes back to, again, it's not because of him, but it's because of God. It's not because of his might, but it's because of who God is and what God has done in his life. Verse 43, thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people, and thou hast made me the head of the heathen. A people whom I have not known shall serve me. So he looks at later on in life and he's saying, I'm in this position. Even people who didn't know me, they're now under me because of you, God. Because of what you have done and how you have made me great. Whereas Saul continually did the opposite. He made himself great thinking he was great. David realized that God's blessings can extend well beyond what we even see as possible. We just often want to get through the calamity. David looked beyond. He's like, you, you, you're making all these people to be under my feet. People I didn't even know existed, but now I'm ruling over them. That's how awesome you are, God. And I'm going to have faith in who you are and what you can do, even in my life today, in those areas. David's answer to that, the, and I didn't have it in your notes, so I put it in there. David's answer to the question of God's trustworthiness is resounding praise. Is God really trustworthy? Can I really, the, that question that we wrestle with, can I really trust in God and his ways and that they're perfect and that they're good for me to follow and that they need to be that filter for my life? Can I really do that? And David says, yes. And his answer to it is not just yes, but he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna praise God for that. He looks in the end and he goes back to, instead of exalting himself, David praises the Lord. He, he comes to this, the Lord lives, blessed be the rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted, verse 46. It is God that avenged me. He's the one who subdued the people under me. Notice the, the play where he's, he's continually talking about him and me, him and me. He's talking personally here. This is what God has done. He's delivered me from my enemies. Yea, he's lifted me up above them that rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Remember, the violent man came up multiple other times. So he talks about, why can I do this? It goes back to, he goes back to the same thing. Because of who God is, he's my rock. He's the God of deliverance. Because of what he does, he avenges me. He subdued the the evil person. He delivered me. He lifted me up. He exalted me above them. He's continually going back and saying, my knowledge of God gets me through these difficult times. How, How deep is your knowledge of God? 
Do you find that your theology tends to be maybe an inch deep and a mile wide because you don't really get into understanding and reading who God is? Reading the scriptures and understanding, reading some extra Christian books and theologies to help you understand and wrestle through who God is and deepening your faith. You might say, oh, I'm not, I'm not good at that. You can be. God wants that relationship with you. He wants you to have a deepening understanding of who he is. When you understand that, that gives feet to your faith. It gets you through those difficult times. It says, blessed be my rock. He goes back to that high and lofty, powerful crag. Not the big boulder, but that, that crag that he uses. He says, because of that, he says, I will praise God. Notice the direction of David's praise. He's like, I'm not going to praise me. I'm not going to praise other people. I'm going to praise God. The company of David's praise, it's not, just, it's not just here in the church. He doesn't just say, well, I'll let other Christians know that I'll let other Jews know that, that God is great and God has really worked in my life. Don't be ashamed to talk about the way that God is working in your life among the heathen. He talks about, he says that, that I'm going to, uh, verse 40, 49, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. He doesn't, he doesn't say in the temple or in this, uh, this, the tabernacle. He says, even, even among the people who don't believe in you, I'm giving you praise. I'm giving you glory. I'm going to exalt you and make you big. Part of that is a great aspect to bridge into evangelism, to share with them about how God makes it. And the reasons for David's praise, verse 50, great deliverance or victories gives he to the king, and he shows mercy or his unfailing kindness to his anointed and to his seed forevermore. David, David realizes the reason I'm praising is because God has done some amazing things in my life. Folks, if you're saved, God's done something amazing in your life. If he's brought you through difficult times, God has done amazing things in your life. If he's got you to the point where you were able to get through and see different, different ways that he's worked, he's done amazing things in your life. Don't cheapen the way that God has worked in your life. And don't forget to give him praise. Don't forget to make him big, to exalt him, because that will help you even in the next times that we go through those hard times, looking at David. When we sum up the whole psalm, it really is a psalm of faith, trust, commitment, and reliance. And that really is the life of David when you start looking at it. Faith, trust, commitment, and reliance can turn our fumbling steps into a way, that perfect way, the way that God has to fulfill God's purposes for us. Will you exalt God? Will you commit to him and say, I will call upon you in the times of my distress. I will trust you. I will seek to be faithful to you, not according to what I think is faithfulness, but what you think is faithfulness. Trust in God and allow him to continually work in your life. So Lord, I pray that you would help us, even as we now have the privilege to come before you and to sing praises. Help us to lift our voices up. Help us to not worry about what other people around us think, but know that you are listening. Help us to exalt you in an amazing way as we have that time to, to worship you together as a body of believers. And Lord, help us to, to exalt you even when we're outside of this church building. Help us to make you big in our life. Help our faith to have feet as we go out of the church building and go into life. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.